You're listening to Art of the Float. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Art of the Float. It's so lovely to have you back here. Uh, we are doing a little bit of a special episode. We've invited a few guests on tonight. Uh, if this is your first time listening, welcome. Yes, we're Art of the Float. We had a booth at the conference, and we've been podcasting for quite a few years. I'm one of your hosts, Dylan. I own the float shop in Portland, Oregon with my wife, Sandra. I'm joined, as always, with Amy of Float Nashville and now Float Alchemy, recently opened. Welcome, Amy. Hello, welcome. I just said welcome. We welcome guests, again? welcome listeners. It's so wonderful to have you. <laughs> this is an ultimate live episode. No cuts, no edits, and uh, a lot of accidental F-bombs, I'm sure. Uh, as always, you can find us at Art of the Float on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all that good stuff. Oh, I want to thank Aaron Turner and Lisa Jones for supporting us on Patreon. If you're interested in supporting the show and getting free assets uh, for social media, uh, really high quality photography, float photography. You can support us on Patreon, and uh, it means a lot to us, and it really does help put wind in our sails. Also, uh, you probably got to meet a few members of the Helm team at the Float Conference as well. They had a booth there. Uh, we want to give a shout out to Float Helm. Floathelm.com is where you want to go to learn about how they can do scheduling for your float center and how they can also take care of other modalities such as massage, acupuncture, sauna, all that good stuff. They have an incredibly high retention rate with their clients. And the best part of all of this is that they actually walk you through uh, their software before you um, ever make any kind of decision on what software you're going to go through for booking. And uh, they can show you all the amazing things that, done, that uh, it does, which I, I literally couldn't do in one sitting, uh, walking through everything that Helm does. It's really incredible piece of software. So again, floathelm.com is where you want to go to check it out. So I'm going to introduce some other folks we have here on in just a second. And I just want to let everybody know that this is the Float Conference review episode. We're going to go back and uh, talk about this weekend, how we're doing, what we got out of it. And uh, as uh, I think the question on a lot of people's mind is, uh, what is the future of the industry, uh, excuse me, of the Float Conference? So we're going to get into that. So uh, first, I want to welcome Drew Kane. You may uh, know him as Drew Jitsu in the Float Collective. Welcome, Drew. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. And, and where's that accent from? Boston. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Kim Hannon, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. And where's that thick accent from? A really thick accent. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a little bit of a mutt accent, but currently it's uh, landed in southern Indiana. Wonderful. And how long have you been open, Kim? Um, I'm about six weeks from opening. <laughs> right, minus six weeks. Drew, how long have you been open? I just hit nine months. Congratulations. Excellent. And Dan Larson, you know him from the Float Collective. Dan, welcome to the show. Thanks. Yeah. It's the accent episode. Yes, it is. Yeah. Where's your accent from? <laughs> Mine is from London. Originally filtered through 20 years in the States, three years in Boston. So <laughs> it's it's a train wreck. And, and where are you now? Uh, now I'm in Olympia, Washington. So Pacific Northwest accent. And how long? Nothing. It, isn't that odd? We could, we could get into that, but let's let's not. Uh, how long have you been open for? Uh, four and a half years. Cool, cool, cool. Ish. Somewhere in there. And Amy, for anybody who's listening to us for the first time, would you want to give a little background on your float centers? Absolutely. We started Float Nashville, the first float center in Tennessee about five years ago. Just opened Float Alchemy less than six months ago. So I'm kind of old school and new school. Totally. Absolutely. What, what an exciting time. What an exciting time. 
Uh, I should also mention that we've been running the float shop for about seven years now. I think we're coming up on seven in just a couple months here. So uh, it feels like a drop in the bucket. So it, it's funny. I feel like you basically are an expert at running a float center 90 days into running it. Like, you know most of what you're ever going to, going to know. Uh, but at the same time, that just feels so young to me. <laughs> uh, just a few months. And Dan, I don't know, four and a half years. That's that's getting more legit. I don't know. Yeah, I'm now I'm just being rude. I'm approaching that. Yeah. Uh, so let's let's get into it. Um, first of all, how are you guys doing? How's your energy today? That We just had three really intense days of float conference. How's everybody's energy level? How are you recovering? We have Kim opening a float center. We've got Drew running a float center. Nobody's able to go back home and just start relaxing. Or, or are you able to? How does it, how's it looking? Well, I had a really rough journey back. I mean, it, you know, it took me two hours to drive home. No. So that, was, that was hard. You know, wow. Two, hour, two hours and I five. You know, it's brutal. Oh, yeah. If I could throw something, Dan, if I could throw it to you right now, I would. <laughs> I Kim, how are you Kim doing? Spent the night sleeping on the airport floor, so I'm just. Mm. Is that true? Yes, uh, I left Portland at about 1 a.m. and then uh, landed in Denver and uh, literally slept on the airport floor, which really meant I didn't quite sleep, but I tried my mm. hardest. Um, and then my flight was, my gate was changed about five or six times. My flight was delayed a couple of hours, and um, finally made it home and uh, got to rest a little bit. But the family was waiting and anxious to see me, so I. Uh, you know, push through all of that. But then I'll be honest, today I called everything off and just lay around in bed, <laughs> nice. had some, some coffee, and then got up and uh, ran out to check on the float center to see what happened while I was gone. And uh, it was really cool to get to, to see just those little things in a few days, how much change wow. happened. Wonderful. Cool. Drew, how you doing? Uh, today was a struggle. Yeah? Uh, right into it. I had taken the overnight from Portland Sunday night, got home early Monday morning, slept for a few hours, tried to mow my lawn that was way overgrown. <laughs> okay. Lawnmower broke, <laughs> ran to the float center. Um, then I was there for the rest of the night until about 10 o'clock East Coast time. And then back up early and added all day today, doing the Whoa. deep clean and, um, you know, going over bills, the whole nine, all that oh my stuff. God. But it's been, luckily I lucked out. Tuesdays were closed. Uh, we don't open till 10 o'clock on Wednesdays. So if I need to sleep in, tomorrow's my morning. But I'm wow. tired. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> I'm tired. Wow. The, float, the float conference was awesome, but yeah. it is tiring. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a difficult one because it's absolute hype fest. There's so much cool stuff going on. And then you take all this energy and you come back home and it's like, oh my God, I need to focus on what's right in front of me, which is once you're open, it's your business. You just, you can't do anything else. I don't think you're alone in that. Uh, and and I've, I've been there in the past, although there wasn't the crazy flights. And so I kind of had the Dan thing where it's not so bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll throw in that too, that we have, we have eight employees now at, mm -hmm. at our team. So... I didn't actually have to rush back to my float center. I actually took the day off, and I was I was there for about an hour, and that was it. But uh, yeah, I let my employees take the hit. <laughs> I envy that. Yeah, you'll get that too. It's nice. Yeah, yeah it is. It, this was really cool for me in that Emily, our float shop manager, 
just handled the whole bus tour of Portland float centers. Like I didn't have to think about the float conference at all during this weekend. Whereas there are times I'd be zipping to the float shop and back to the conference, just back and forth, back and forth uh, to like do a turnover real quick or, or take care of some kind of an issue that came up and uh, no texts, no phone calls, you know, only, only positive stuff. So that was nice. And um, of course, with Art of the Float, there was other stuff to, to be doing, but uh, no no float shop stuff, which hopefully we don't sound too pompous, Dan. Hopefully this is like, yes, this is possible in the future. You can get yeah, to this I point. Yeah, I think that's where I'm coming from too, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Let's um, let's start with Friday. Uh, were there, and Amy, I'd be even curious about you, was, was there anything you were looking forward to uh, going on Friday? Was all the workshops before the conference? Mm-hmm. Um, of course, you have to be selective about which ones you're actually going to go to because there's overlap. But uh, Amy, was there anything that you wanted to hear? You know, that is always the hardest part on Friday. Mm-hmm. I, I almost—I don't want to say I hate Fridays, but it's, it, there's, I want to go to everything, mm-hmm. and it's almost impossible to choose. So, yeah, you, you pick your friends wisely because <laughs> then everybody splits up and you can, you know, maybe they got some recordings or maybe they got some yeah. notes. So I'm, I'm yeah. anxious to see what y'all did, and hopefully it's um, varied so we can hear all the good stuff. Cool. Well, I don't want to start with the one I went to. How about Kim, please? Yeah, um, I agree. It was really difficult to make that decision. And um, there were some sessions that were absolutely packed. Um, and so it was a little harder to kind of wiggle in and out. And I tried to stay put, but I ended up finding myself accidentally in the wrong room at one point. And, uh, you know, I just stayed and, and went oh, with wow. it. Um, but there was, I love that there was so much variety, you know, you can get everything from trying out some, you know, having some experiences like the Lucia light, um, to, mm-hmm. you know, really diving into some information that, um, Justin Feinstein was sharing and then marketing forums. And, you know, there was just so much that it really was hard to figure out like where to go. Um, so I dabbled a little bit in, in, in almost all of it. <laughs> um, but the marketing forum was really interesting just to hear some different perspectives. Um, and it was broken up into two different sections. Um, one was really focusing on growing your memberships, where the second one was focused on um, Facebook ad strategies. Mm. And so it was really cool just to hear a couple of little tidbits, you know, um, for new center owners. Um, you know, I, I come from a marketing ba- background, so um, some of this stuff I already knew, but I'm always curious to see how everybody in the flip world really implements that since I am, you know, new to this industry. What's mm-hmm. different, what's unique, and, and what, what things haven't I thought about yet? Um, and so it was just a really good experience to kind of take down a few of those little tidbits. If you had one takeaway you want, you could impart with the float community tonight, is, uh, does anything come to mind? There is no right answer and there is no wrong answer. Uh, <sighs> <yeah>. <laughs> Damn it. Come on. It'd be nice. Seriously, um, what works in one center yeah. is going to bomb in another. Mm. And, uh, that's the thing is you've just got to be really, really educated. You've got to be uh, willing to try different things and willing to have these conversations with people and hear their perspectives and what works and what didn't, but then try to dig a little deeper and understand why, because mm. nobody has the answer. And uh, mm. that's that's the thing is to really recognize that, that what happens one place may not be right for you. So. Does that to some degree almost give you some confidence? Like... Uh, yes and no. I mean, yeah. it, I have ideas on a lot of things and there are definitely things I heard that some people were saying were really, really effective. Um, and there are things that ideas that I have that nobody else has really is talking about. Maybe they've tried it, but they're not talking mm-hmm. about it. And, and that piece of it kind of makes me wonder, like, 
am I coming out of left field? Am I really wrong on this? Um, and it's stuff that I'm going to try, but I know I need to be flexible um, and to really kind of stay on it and watch and make moves where I need to. All right, cool. That part sounds very accurate. Like you can't stay static. You have to stay watching. Yeah, eye on the ball. Drew? I did the um, the Justin uh, Liber talking about the research and the research people are going to do yeah. studies. Yeah, that was really interesting, mm-hmm. uh, especially how you, I don't know what it's called. You have to be certified, or but go through the proper channels if you're going to be part of some type of study. The for, IRB approval yeah, process. IRB. Approval. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was pretty, uh, no, I guess, mind-blowing. Not that it, I'm the, a research guy, but to know that people are trying to gather information in the industry, and it does seem to be important to do it the proper way. Right. right? Yeah, that... That was probably the biggest takeaway, right? Like, yeah. do, please do this correct for the industry. Please do it with uh, RV approval, basically. Um, well, as an example, the, the fibromyalgia project was really, really mm-hmm. well done and had some mm-hmm. phenomenal data. But turns out it didn't have an IRB, and so it's not usable. It's not publishable in any, never any, any serious journal, mm-hmm. which sucks. Mm-hmm. It sucks to not be able to use that data. And it's, it's a really important lesson. Agreed. Yeah, that, that's kind of brutal. And I, I don't think we can't, it's not like we can't talk about it. And it's like, it fits under that anecdotal category, but like a collective yeah. anecdotal. But yeah, that that's pretty rough uh, to hear. With that being said, I guess we were all there. That's really funny. I didn't I didn't realize that. I might be a little little scatterbrained at this point. But uh, I was also doing, I was trying to get the audio. So by the way, for anybody who wasn't there, we're going to try to get that out on the show as well, if you want to hear that along with Gloria Morse's portion of uh, memberships as well. Um, if, if we can get that audio, we'll be releasing that as well. But uh, my excitement for that portion was how many people are able to do research and how it is actually happening already. I mean, going back years, it was just like, we want research, we want research, and we don't have time to not have research. And and, and I remember Dr. Feinstein was like, this takes time, we need to set it up properly. And now we have published uh, papers from uh, LIBOR and now we have other people with IRB approval doing uh, research based usually out of their colleges uh, for their uh, like PhD programs, uh, which is really um, not something that I, I understood at all was basically there are IRB boards within the college colleges that um, are going to tell you if you, you're approved. Basically, this IRB thing that we keep talking about, I'm not sure what the acronym is for, but it's for the safety of the, I'll say, client, um, or the, the patient maybe is a better word, so that they're um, kept safe uh, from publicity and safe medically uh, for through any testing. Does that sound accurate? Yeah, if I could jump in. Yeah, it's, it's institution, Institutional Review Board. I mean, basically, it's an ethics okay. review. It's it's a, you know an institution like a university or a medical school or a hospital, um, that has a panel of experts who are able to weigh in on the issue of ethics and whether or not a study is structured in, a, in an ethical way and is following all the protocols that it should. That's Which, what I have, yes. And, and usually when you have one within a university, it makes it much more affordable. They have independent right. IRB boards, but they're extraordinarily expensive. So when you have availability at a university, it makes it very convenient and usually a lot more affordable. Hmm. Which is nice. That that seems to be true, yes. And potentially easier as well. When you're actually going to university, you get to go through these 
independent college boards. Uh, there's a gentleman from uh, Reed here in, in Oregon, in Portland, and uh, he said it, it took, like, it was a matter of days. It might have even been minutes that he said he had IRB approval. And we all went, whoa, what? Uh, and this other gentleman, uh, who I think he said it took maybe like six or nine months for him to get approval through his even university. And then there's Justin, where I think it took even longer than that. Um, and it, it almost sounds like there's a lot of flexibility in the college review. But once you get out of college, there's like this very static uh I would almost say kind of difficult wall to penetrate through to get your IRB approval. Uh, so that was that was really interesting for, for me to learn about during that. But were you guys surprised by how many people were actually conducting research already? Well, yeah. I think, um, you know, Justin's kind of a catalyst. So, I mean, on the mm -hmm. one hand, I was like, well, that's really cool. There's like four or five people up here who, are, you know, have their own studies going. But then I also wasn't very surprised because that's kind of how mm -hmm. it goes. You get one person who's very active and interested and it starts to attract other people who want to okay. not coattail exactly, but, you know, be involved in the same same kind of focus and, and energy. And everybody, so, oh, sorry, Amy. So as someone who wasn't there, uh, could you tell us what some of the other studies are and what's going on? Just a brief overview. I think one of them is on burnout. Um, and actually yeah, that's Amrinda's. Amrinda's study is on burnout. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it, it's uh, not necessarily uh, it, practitioners experiencing burnout, I believe, is, is what that is. And the gentleman from Reed, he did mention it. Does anybody remember what it was? I'm sorry, I'm spacing on it. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I don't. It's all a little bit mashed together in my head. I know that Ricardo is studying um, mm. EEG um, realm of things. So I think right. he's more focused on EEG as a modality rather than specific clinical areas although it's all it's all seems to be focused very much in the realm of anxiety and depression i think is kind of the big mm -hmm. focus um are we experiencing that, some burnout <laughs> <laughs> sorry Jeff, we, we, we have tools luckily um and then another gentleman whose name i don't remember it sounds like he was studying more of the kind of metaphysical consciousness realm of um effects of floating along with clinical conditions so he's he's i i totally forget his name but uh, yeah me too interesting and guy yeah i i need to get him on the show because i i didn't understand but i was fascinated by what he was talking about but how <laughs> yeah. does that fit into our western style of doing research i didn't understand but it seemed like that that's the modality he was using uh, yeah for the his research project so yeah he was a, he's kind of a mix of John Lilly and, and Justin Feinstein, it seemed like, so nice. it's kind of interesting. Cool way to put it. Drew? Can I add that some of those topics that they were talking about, I really didn't understand when they started to get into formulas and certain things, I kind of lost it. And I just, <laughs> it seemed like it was all good. So I would, say, <laughs> I would clap and I was excited. But I kind of wish they had this little thing in the end that said, um, you know, summary for dummies and said oh, how, totally. what we can say, yeah. how can we regurgitate this oh, yes. and say it because yeah, you're talking about like, the quantum, the quantum presentation, right? In the actual conference, that one that has, has all the crazy algorithms and math. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Everyone was just like, Oh, okay. Get our dot our heads and pretend like we're following along. Here. <laughs> That's what was so fascinating was to see this spectrum of the research and the way that it's being presented. And, you know, the, the folks who are doing that research, we had everything from the super technical, like definitely not for your layman, 
all the way through like MC Flux, who put together this just engaging presentation where everything had a little icon and it graphics and he broke down the most complex topics into these cool little characters that you could follow along with the story. And so it was just really neat to also hear, like there were a couple of places where you'd catch a little bit of an overlap of, oh, I that person was talking about that earlier. Um, and, it, and, and Drew, there were definitely pieces where I was just like, what on earth are we, what are we talking about? But that was also really interesting just to see all those different perspectives. So, um, you know, one of the reasons I wanted you guys all on here today is because we had a booth this year and uh, we were promoting our financial modeler, FEMO, and that took up a lot of our resources, which really changed the float conference game for me. It was made it very different and more, um, honestly, like about the, uh, the, the product as opposed to just like the hugs and the hellos and the speeches going on, which, you know, maybe another time I'll, I'll get into that a little bit more. I just wasn't a super fan of being locked down to the booth. I want, I want to be roaming and, and experiencing it. Um, so I didn't get to see a lot of the speeches. So I'm curious, did you guys have, it sounds like you had some favorites, some things that piqued your interest. And Andrew, I do want to talk a little bit more about like the things like totally going over your head because I feel like that's just part of the conference. Like when Steven Johnson is talking, like, I, I don't know, I get 2% of what he says. <laughs> it's, it's difficult. Uh, there's a lot of dense information. But anyway, um, any any favorites or things that you felt were exciting or meaningful? Yeah, I mean, the, the MC Flux presentation, I think, was the one that, that stood out for me. And he's he's just such, I mean, there were, there were several, but that, that was a big one. He was just such an interesting, engaging character. It was like watching a, just a TED Talk quality presentation mm -hmm. on the role of inflammation and, and how floating affects it. But he, man, that dude is such an engaging presenter, and mm -hmm. he's an amazing graphic designer as well. So mm -hmm. you, you have to see the slides when they come out, whenever okay. um, Flocon gets that video out. Yeah. But it's just super, super engaging to watch and explains things, explains phenomenally um, complicated things about the immune system in a way that really clicks and makes sense because he has such a good sense of graphic design and presentation layout. And, um, so that was really interesting to me. Do, do you have a takeaway from that? My so, big takeaway from that was, holy shit, inflammation is the body's way of preparing for an injury. So hmm. what what he did is he talked he he uh, he broke down these kind of evolutionary scenarios. So he had like Caveman Jane or whatever her name was, um, as a, as a little character that he talked okay. about the experiences of and how her immune system was reacting to um, experiences with saber toothed tigers, and the role of inflammation and when the immune system gets turned on and off in response to perceived threats, and how that continues to affect us now today. Um, even though we don't have saber-toothed tigers in the room, we have all of our own perceived stresses. So he was using this kind of original caveman model um, to explain what was going on in the immune system and, and how that affects stresses today. And just did a phenomenal job of, of breaking that down. Um, so it's, it's hard to put into words. Um, it, you know, you just have to see it because it's, it's so well done. And I think some of the, the floater um, talks too are really, really engaging. Um, there was one gentleman in particular who was talking about um, OCD, and autism, and um, you know, just his experience of being incapable of staying. Oh, and Tourette's, and that was the other thing that he described having. So, he had a, a number of very serious neurocognitive um, issues going on, and you know, he. But he was, and it, he very clearly was still struggling with some of that. Mm. But at the same time, was such a good presenter. Like his yes. timing. 
mm-hmm. as he like relayed all of this experiential information about his life was so good, like such an engaging speaker. Um, but just a very emotional presentation about how for the first time in his life in a float tank, he got to experience letting go and allowing his muscles to let go and just how he'd spent his whole life just holding on to tension as a way of trying to look normal so that his body spasms and Tourette's wouldn't right, take over. Right, I think that's and the really got, important he part. He got to let go. He, yeah. he was consciously holding himself tight so that his body, and even his mind too, um, having these sequences, or I think programs he called them, to, uh, to follow yeah. so that he wouldn't act out or his body wouldn't move in a way. So he had to have all of his muscles flexed. And in the float tank, he was able to let, to let go of that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Murphy, really, really powerful. Those customer stories were definitely like my biggest takeaway. Just to to hear firsthand from so many people whose lives were impacted in such huge ways. You know, I mean, we have bad days. The construction progress is so challenging at times. <laughs> yeah. But when you hear from those people, and what I loved most was that some of them said, you know, um, I have a relationship with the owners of the center. They don't know it, but we have a, a strong relationship and just to hear that the ties and how impactful floating was on their lives. And I mean, in huge ways. And that's one of those moments where you realize you, sometimes you just have no idea how you're impacting somebody and Good they may call. not be ready to come in and talk about it. You might think they're walking out like, you know, upset that they didn't have a great float, but I mean, it just changed their lives and people can't put that into words. And so it was so amazing to hear all of those stories where they were encapsulating everything and, and sharing what that whole float experience has been for them. Like I have goosebumps right now just thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, there was there was some tear jokers for sure. Julia, Julia talking about how you know she as an experienced floater, she had the float where she realized that um, she was transgender and wanted to become a woman. I mean that was just like everyone was choked up and <laughs> standing yeah. ovation at the end of that it was just very very cool. Sorry, I missed that one. Also, can I add that Please. the microbiologist. Uh, Roy Vore or Vore mm. maybe I, I forget his name but Roy Vore Roy Vore okay <laughs> I thought he was awesome yeah, he really broke down um, you know how dangerous oh, the yes. water is or the risk of infection from the water mm-hmm. and as someone who's new to this in an area where it's new and we're trying to get people to be open to the idea of laying naked in a water and mm-hmm. people are a little hesitant to that it was reassuring to know that it seemed and this was one of the ones that might have gone over my head a little but it seems like our water is pretty safe if we're following proper procedures that we know of and as i was opening and you look into proper water maintenance you start doing that on the float collective and there's all types of things yeah, you mm-hmm. hear all types of do this do that this yeah. doesn't matter that does matter um yeah. So to hear him actually show that you need to drink like 22 ounces of the tank water to get sick from certain things, hmm. a little reassuring knowing that we don't have people in there chugging the tank water. Right. So um, overall, he was, it seems he was, safe. He was another surprise, wasn't he? I mean, you, yeah. know, it's, you see on the presentation, the presentation on germs, you're like, oh, God, mm-hmm. this is going to be some dry health inspector nonsense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he was such a dynamic, engaging character. To, to, I mean, huh. he has had one of the best presentations, and it's all about this really minute data of, of you know, germ growth or the lack thereof. 
So basically what he did is he, he provided a, a statistical risk model showing that there really is no risk of germ growth in float tanks. I mean, and, and he was yeah. he was leaning on decades of his own professional experience to basically make the case that nothing grows in this environment. L nothing literally survives. nothing? Pretty much, or yeah. He asterisk. was. I mean, like like Drew said, he came to the, you know his conclusion was you have to drink a lot of this float tank solution huh. to get any sort of significant risk of exposure to you know uh, you know the four or five different bacteria that are, are or that are thought to grow in float tanks. You know, Got so it. wow. He did say as soon as poop is in the equation, all bets are off. It goes Always. through the roof. Yep. So that's a catastrophic event drain the tank, start over. Mm -hmm. So he was very clear in that. But he was cool. like, short of, short of that, you know, really nothing grows in this environment. And it, it was really cool to see someone with his level of experience just kind right. of apply logic and reason and statistical analysis mm -hmm. to, to come to that conclusion versus any kind of guesswork. You know? it was, that, it was that, cool. doesn't make, that doesn't make me want to, like, lower our protocols or anything. No, but, no, no. no. <laughs> yeah, no, no, but, uh, yeah, confidence-inspiring. I do think one of the things that he said, um, though, is that we still have to be concerned about what's happening outside the tanks. Mm. And that's a place <laughs> yeah. where I think we all still have an opportunity to continue to look and make sure that what we're doing is really addressing all the places that people touch. And you can't be lax mm. about that just because our float tank is a fairly safe environment. You can't be lax about the rest of the center. You know, cool. he, he said his fear is just as much like going to turn off the light or taking off shoes, sitting on a bench, touching the, the wall. Those are the places where, you know, we still need to make sure that we're we're using caution. Awesome. Cool. That's great. So he wasn't just saying everything's fine, everything's fine. They no, were, no, no, no. Great. Cool. I mean, but, but basically he was talking about salt and he talked a lot about chloride concentration. And, you know, he, it's funny. He told a little story that had a narrative where salt is the hero of the story, essentially. And, you know, and he said that as soon as that salt comes into the mix, it's just like all... All the usual bets are off in terms of, you know, uh, risk exposure. It just essentially doesn't, inside the tank, essentially doesn't exist. Outside in the showers and surfaces, like Kim said, yeah. So it's the same old, same old issue as, you know, any spawn, spawn pool environment. I love that. So no yeah. grease traps necessary, Amy? Is that... <laughs> well, it sounds like it sounds like I'm good without my grease trap. I'm yeah. hoping. Was anything said about grease traps? I just want to make sure I'm up on the latest. That, there was a, a grease trap workshop on Friday. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, I didn't record that one. <laughs> so I'm sorry. I didn't even think that. about it. Huh? I guess I would apply to you. Um, um, so the GTO uh, workshop, the grease trap operator. You know. <laughs> yes. Just yeah. There's yeah. certified training. Yeah. This is what happens <laughs> when I miss the float conference. That's right. So sad. The one year, man. One uh, year. Um. Let's see here. So uh, that's awesome to hear. People were buzzing after that one for sure. MC Flux as well. People were buzzing about that one. And Drew, I, that kind of feels like that kind of gives me some of the answer to like, what do you do with all this information that's coming in is like, you don't have to remember every single piece. That's okay. Like you got this overall gestalt of water maintenance that just maybe provides a little bit more confidence for you to run your own center. Although I will say like, it, it's fun for me to walk out with just a couple notes. So like when somebody walks into my float center, I'm able to say something about a killer, just a little, little bit of facts, factoids that um, help um, when, when people come into the center. And like, this is new data coming out to show either benefit of floating or water maintenance, something like that is, is cool to have and just have in your back pocket to uh, bring people's anxiety down about the experience. 
Yeah, this was less. It was less science heavy than than the last couple of years, I hmm. think. I mean, and I'm I'm usually in the same boat where I always have like the three or four like deeply clinical neuroscience points that I have to yes. try and remember, and yeah, I yeah. usually usually do, and I turn them into my own little narrative. Yeah. Um, but there was actually less of that this time, mm. and it, it felt like it was much more, um, yeah, about a, a general feeling and a general optimism and mm. uh, kind of a general positivity about the industry that, that I took from it. There were a lot of hugs. You know, there was a lot more hugs at this conference. And <laughs> just, <laughs> just that, you know, I think that sense of community was really, really strong this year, which was nice. Yeah. I, Kim, what number of float conference was this for you? This was my first. It was. It was. Okay. This was my first. Yes, um, my husband attended the Starter Center workshop last year, okay. um, but this was my first one. I, I attended Rise, um, and Rise was a good precursor to kind of get to know some friendly faces and okay. um, get a real feel for what it's like to be in the presence of other Float Center owners. <laughs> um, and then it was such a different environment, though, and you know it, it could be really overwhelming for somebody who is as introverted as I can be, hmm. um, but. I still had those friendly faces and I had ample opportunity to go sit and hide and, you know, take a minute and breathe and recharge and then go right back at it full blast again. So Wow. As somebody who wants to make sure everybody's like having a good time or like participating or whatever, every time I saw you, you seem to be rocking out with, with a new group of people. I saw no introverts or, or time to recharge coming from you. Yes. Uh, it, it was, it was there, but I loved getting to see, like talk to so many different people that's that's the beauty of an event like this is yeah you know you it's hard actually to kind of stay in that little bitty bubble well yeah sure you can but <laughs> i mean the real value is like getting around talking to everybody and yeah. um it's, it's so much fun and for that i'm willing to put my introvert away and then go sleep for a day and a half when i get back <laughs> um drew this was your first float conference this was my first no yeah. rise, first nope. float-related conference. Yeah, that's it. Um, yeah, I. The reason I asked you guys was, and and Kim, you kind of already answered it a little bit already. Is just, I was just curious how welcoming it was, because like Dan and I have a special handshake and fist bump. You know, there's just all this friendliness going on. We know each other's history, all this stuff with the people who have been there year after year after year. What was it like going in, not not necessarily not knowing anybody, because we have resources like the Float Collective, and there's there's networking that can happen. But what was it like going in? with these veteran conference goers? I'll say it was a little bit intimidating to really, um, to be new, to hope that I'm doing it right. There's a lot of passionate people in the float industry. And yeah. there are a lot of people that want other people to represent the float industry in a way that is uh, positive and beneficial to everybody. Yeah. So. I definitely wonder sometimes, like, hey, am I doing a good enough job? Am oh. I providing a good float experience? Would other people think that I'm doing a good job? Would they be critical of things? You know, um, but we live in a strange time. We get to know each other online or listening to podcasts and develop relationships. So then to meet a lot of these people in person was like wild. It's kind of like being in a movie. I get to... I've only seen pictures of Dan and then I hear him talk. Oh, like, nice. <laughs> you know, um, there's so many people getting to, I've been working with Luke Kruger, Mandala, and to actually be able to hug him, touch him. It's like, I feel like I've gotten to know you, you Dylan. I, I, we've worked together. I've known you now for a couple of years and it wow, seems like, yeah. and, um, to be able to physically be in the presence of everybody. There's an energy that you can feel when there's a bunch mm. of positive people around. I truly believe this. 
and I didn't before opening the float center, but I'm big on people's energies and you can feel when people bring it up and you can mm-hmm. feel when people bring it down. Mm-hmm. And the float conference was full of uplifters. Nice. You know, it was <laughs> awesome. Very cool people. Um, even Justin, who I would consider, I guess, the leading researcher. Yes. Like, he's a cool dude. He's got, like, a flowy hair. He wears flip-flops with his dress-up outfits. And he's really into floating. And he's laid back and chill. And he doesn't make it seem boring. He makes it seem exciting. You know, it's um, everyone has a passion about floating. And to be around that is infectious. And that's that was a huge um, thing that I took away from it, that experience. Everyone doesn't take long to find someone who's happy or who's talking positive. And the opposite of that, being surrounded by negativity or if problems going on in the float center. And mm-hmm. I have my own problems going on at back home. So it was nice to leave it, <laughs> go out to a place where everyone's positive or can cool. at least understand where you're coming from with some of your issues, maybe have a little... Uh, advice with stuff that's going on back home. But, it's quite a um, different vibe from Boston, huh? Way <laughs> different. Yeah, you know. <laughs> huh. right? People yeah. smiling, okay. saying hi. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Um, accessible. Just going back a little bit. I find the people accessible. I find Dr. Feinstein accessible. Like, there just doesn't seem to be this disconnect and there seems to be this wanting to share. And it's so exciting for us to share. It's just this one time that we actually get to share the the entrepreneurial experience and the float experience, which are two very unique things individually, but combined are just, it's just this tiny, tiny niche that we don't get to share with each other. And uh, it seems like everybody's excited to. Um, I'm curious uh, if you guys, um, and and maybe Dan as well, Amy and I have talked about this before, which is that at the float conference, you go in, it's like, my float center is doing awesome. It's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then maybe two drinks in, or maybe it's day number two, and you're talking to the same people, and you've let your guard down a little bit. You're like, uh, my water, I can't see the bottom of my flow tank. I don't know what's going on. I, something's wrong with my water. I keep my lights low. It, I don't want to tell anybody about it, but I got this issue. Or whatever it is, everybody's got this issue, and uh, nobody has the perfect float center. Did you? I'm curious if you experienced that, or like, did were you an open book immediately? Did it take you a while to open up? I'm just curious if you, if you uh, witnessed that. <laughs> I'll say I didn't. I feel like um, actually I didn't talk too much detail with people about stuff. Oh, like interesting. That, yeah. You know, and and I don't know if that was just to stay away from the negative stuff. Maybe other people didn't want to talk about it. Hmm. Um, I'm kind of wondering having... if um, Float Collective sort of fills that void. You know, oh, all the day-to-day troubleshooting problem mm-hmm. things, mm-hmm. and it's kind of like, yeah, we don't need to talk about that. We already yeah. talked about it online. That's resolved. Yeah. I have Maybe. to say. I don't know. I do think Float Collective has opened that up, has uh, opened the conversation on some things that in the past people just kind of maybe were embarrassed or weren't sure and were afraid to put it out there. I do think Float Collective has done just an amazing job uh, allowing us to talk a little bit more freely and feel supported instead of feeling uh, shame might be a little, no, little too I excessive, think but, absolutely but feeling a little, little bit better and supported, encouraged. Uh, so. It wouldn't def- surprise me if that's changed. And definitely from the encouragement standpoint, there are a lot of people there who don't own a float center or don't mm-hmm. work at one and are interested in opening one. So they came, they're being part of the community, and I think that being in that environment has them 
like ready to roll. I'd be real curious how many people actually end up opening a float center who did attend the conference because I'm sure there are some people that being around that they're like, yes, this is what I'm doing, and they did it. Yeah, that's 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 one of the powers of float conference, and that's really why it needs to continue um, existing in in its new form is is because of that effect. You know, you have people who show up with an idea, like maybe maybe kind of sort of might do this thing. And then two days in, they're like, oh, I'm definitely doing this. I'm going to go home and set up this float center. It's just happening. That that really is, that's the float conference effect. Mm. Yeah, and that, that needs to continue. Will it continue? We, it will. Nice. So, I mean, that's, that's an excellent segue, guys. Yes, I mean, that is, yeah. that's the ultimate question coming out of this float conference, uh, is that this is the last time that it is being put on by the, the guys that float on and in the official capacity that they have, they talked about how they want to, uh, they're starting a nonprofit organization to essentially hand over the keys to the float conference to the float community. And um, I think this is a very, very interesting concept, which feels like a very lofty goal initially to me because of, I think we take for granted to a certain degree what they do year after year and the, the event that they put on because we don't go to health code conferences we don't go to standard conferences i i never have had to do that i don't know if you guys have but um apparently these other conferences are pretty dry they're in conference centers it, you're drinking coffee all day just to stay awake not because you partied so hard the night before with other conference goers it, it is just a really different vibe to them and i think there's a little bit of I don't want to say lack of appreciation lack of understanding maybe of everything that ashcon and I really say Ashcon, and I know, and Graham too, but I know Ashcon is the, the lead in this and the way that he delegates and manages this entire operation to happen year after year. That makes me scared, you guys. That makes me scared about the future of it. So um, maybe I didn't finish elaborating on that, but, but they're handing over the keys. Uh, they did give a few um, bullet points as far as uh, leadership uh, availability, volunteers, interest in volunteers. We'll put the their email up on the show notes page so you can contact them if you want to help facilitate the next float conference. Um, Dana wanted to be here tonight. She wanted to make it clear that she's going to be making sure that the next float conference happens. There are people out there that want to make sure that this happens, but I'm curious. I don't want, I guess I led too much, but I'm just curious what your thoughts are. Honestly, I think it, I mean, it is a, like you said, Dylan, it's a really, really huge undertaking. Um, you know, in my past life in the corporate world, I not only attended a ton of conferences, but I was a part of the team that hosted them in many, many cases. Mm. And so I've gotten to see it, you know, heavily as a person, as a, a host, as a speaker, um, as a participant and for what is relatively a small conference compared to some of the things that are out there in a lot of industries, um, the the level of professionalism and the mm. attention to detail and everything that this team has done, it's just mind blowing. And you know, I agree. I think a lot of folks don't understand how much work goes into every little detail. Um, and I I think it was really impressive. One of the things that they shared is about um, needing a board of directors, needing um, paid positions, needing those volunteers, and to see how many positions were listed. Um, and that's not all. I mean, whenever you throw out a bucket like volunteers, there's a ton of volunteers that have to jump in to help too. And so there's just so much that goes into it. But I agree. I think there are a lot of people who are really, really excited and eager to make sure um, that it continues. 
undoubtedly. And I know Graham and Ashcon yeah. will be there in that transitionary period as well. Yeah, and that, that is something uh, Ashcon made clear, is that he's not <laughs> handing the keys or dropping them and walking away. He, he is handing them and guiding uh, through this process. But I think one of the, one of the key things to um, one of the key traps to not fall into here is uh, wringing <laughs> our hands and thinking, well, who's gonna who's gonna volunteer to do all this work like Ashkan's been doing? It's like mm -hmm. like a lot of things that are going on in the industry right now. It's not about who's gonna volunteer. It's about uh, finding some paid professionals who will mm -hmm. pick this up and do it in a really professional way, guided by the community from a tone and intention and kind of energy perspective. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, I think Graham and Ashkan very clearly spelled out the structure of it as a board of directors who do nothing but make strategic level decisions and mm -hmm. aren't accountable for actual production and doing of things. Immediately beneath that, there's a paid staff of people who will be responsible and accountable for execution on this thing. So there's someone out there who loves floating and has 20 years of professional event organization um, experience and will be a perfect fit to pick this up and continue to, you know, kind of take the range from Ashkan with Ashkan's guidance along with the rest of the board of directors and to slam dunk this thing. I think it's it's absolutely possible. If we think of it from the perspective of, oh, there's a lot of details that someone has to volunteer their time for, yeah, that's not going to work. That would fall mm -hmm. apart. But if we think of it from the perspective of, no, there's already a template for this thing mm -hmm. and there's a board who knows the, the kind of vibe that they want from this whole thing, and then there's a professional who will pick it up and get paid to run with this. I, I think it's eminently doable. And I think there's a lot of, you know, other cool venues that and, and cities that this could go to. You know, that um, I am excited about having a good excuse to travel. Like that, that part is exciting to me. Uh, what makes, sorry to be, I hate to be like the devil's advocate here. Nervous no, go for it. Here, it's always but, fun. Okay. Um, <laughs> The uh, financials of it make me nervous as well because I feel like uh, they, as an entity, have had this momentum with cash flow that they've built up from this very small float conference to big ass, beautiful float conference. And I'm just curious, like, what does that mean when the keys are handed over? Um, is there also a cash box coming with it uh, to like uh, help facilitate the movement and the and the size of everything that's happening, or does it need to shrink down and scale again? and um, kind of gain its own momentum and finances and everything. And if, you know, I'm, if the cash is handed over, I'm sure there'd be like some loan repayment program and all of that stuff. Are there other ways to do it other than completely altruistically donating money from them to the conference? It could be a business decision is what I'm trying to say. Like it's not, it's not out of the realm of possibility. Um, but if that's not the case, uh, wow, what a, whew, sh shrinking it down. Um, I don't know, just wow. Thoughts? Ashcon did seem to kind of prepare people that maybe mm -hmm. the next one won't be so extravagant and fun and well-organized. <laughs> hmm. um, he, he was talking about how it doesn't have to be in a big venue. It could be smaller. You don't need all these bells and whistles. So um, it did seem like there was a little bit of that sprinkled in there that hey, maybe won't be such a big party next time. But maybe you have to take a step backwards to take a couple of steps forward sometimes. Sure, sure. And honestly, I mean, I think Rise is um, kind of an interesting um, counterpoint. You know, Rise is, is, is a really beautiful event too. And it is, it's small and it's lean and um, it's not as much of a production, if you want to call it that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. You know, and um, 
those guys do a really nice job of just kind of keeping it simple and just keeping it grounded. And so, you know, something like Floatcon could, you know, be the next, whatever the next Floatcon is, wherever it is, could be somewhere between the two. And, you know, maybe it becomes a little more like Rise for a year or two before picking up again. And on the financials, I don't know. I haven't seen them. I have no idea what their cash flow is. Um, yeah. Obviously, there's a lot of questions there. I couldn't even begin to speculate. I do think that with the group of people that are attending this, you could put it in a field for two days, three days, and just section <laughs> off a field, and people would have fun with it. They'd make the best of it, you know, whatever it is. I, I'd be down for that personally, yeah. <laughs> just do it um, at Brighton Bush. I, I had that thought. You know, the, one of my first <laughs> thoughts was like, so one of my thoughts is that we're not. it's not going to be next year. It'll, it'll take a couple of years for it to get going. One of the things Ashcon said is everything, um, not everything, but the beginning stages of it happened i think he said something like was it 18 months ahead of time basically a year and a half ahead of time so unless some seeds have already been planted and the momentum's already going on we're looking at a two-year gap or at least a, an 18 month gap and i was i was like wow why don't we just have a west coast retreat everybody would be invited but something that was officially low-key to fill the void a little bit for a year so we can have that opportunity to reconnect um so yeah Brighton Bush, I don't know if Brighton Bush is going to work for everybody. <laughs> I had a vision of just like, you know, 40 people, some cabins in the woods. Yeah. No no presentations, no agenda, just <laughs> hanging out and shooting ideas around. Well, you know, one Amy. thought I had is, <laughs> we'll get to Amy, sorry, <laughs> is, is like, what if we just had one speaker? What if we were able to, your funds are going to support Justin flying out to give one hour long uh, mm. or 90-minute presentation? So we can at least kind of check that box and get hyped on some new information. Just a thought. Amy, please. Me? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, you, oh. <laughs> oh, man, I'm sorry. Amy's no, been trying to talk for like the last 10 minutes. I'll stop. I do have a question. Uh, considering that they are making it a nonprofit, has there been any talk about, and I know this is an added layer of work, but have they talked about grants? There are grants mm -hmm. and uh, awards out there for nonprofits. Is there any discussion around that? I haven't heard up, anything. I, don't think. I think you need to volunteer, uh, send an email <laughs> off to say that you can. I know you've got a lot of free time. Do right that now. in my spare time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. I've done, I've done grant writing for years. But uh, I. But uh, you know, that's that's a venue. I, I don't think it's a realistic one right away. Those you know, grants can take you know a year or two to even establish. But um, there are some that would be. That would be good for for an event like this. That would at least qualify. Just the thought. I don't know. I mean, I still think you could be a consultant at some point. Be reached out to, and I don't know, <laughs> just putting it out there. Just putting it out there. Uh, I'm willing to help whoever's whoever's willing to do that because I uh, grant oh. writing is some seriously hard work. But I'd love to to point some people in, in some directions of grants that I used to write for that I that might be applicable in this situation. I. I think it'd be kind of fun. Even this small, even these small uh, gatherings that you're talking about. That'd be kind of cool. Is there anything else anybody wanted to add as far as the future of the float conference goes? I yeah, just I hope they did. continue to have it. That was awesome. I needed it. Perfect timing. Nice. You yeah. Know, um, met cool people. There's a lot of benefit I think comes from it. So hopefully it keeps going. As do I. I. I don't think this is a perfect analogy, but something I was I said I found myself saying a couple times over the weekend was I feel like the float conferences 
the, the center hub of a bicycle wheel, like all these spokes come out of the float conference. It's just such an important place for people to meet and have these experiences and um, just these, these networking connections, the information that comes out of it, the excitement that builds, more people want to do research, as was mentioned earlier. I think so much of that comes out of that center hub of this wheel. And uh, I don't think that's what the industry should be. I think we need to have multiple hubs or more like a spider web you know something gets torn up the spider web still hangs there it still has its strength and i think we need to make sure that this float conference still exists so that we have this this hub and i think we need to have other things um hopefully the show is is a minor version of that but it's just these um, places where people connect information goes through i think float collective the facebook group is an excellent example of that as well but we have been so effing blessed to have this they have these guys step in and do what they've been doing for so many years um i don't know where the industry would be without it to be quite honest i just think the float conference itself is one of the most important things that happens in the industry and we are so blessed to have them putting this on to have this gift of our industry uh meeting at this float conference every year so I'm filled with, with butterflies about it and, and nerves about it, the future of it, because I just feel there's so much value to it. It's so important. And these guys have put it on beyond what 99% of people would do, given this opportunity. And, and of course, they created the opportunity. It's not like they were given it. And it's also a great time for others to step up in the industry. Yes. At Graham and Ashcon kind of been around for a while. The industry's growing. There's a handful of, at least from my standpoint, being new to the industry, a handful of people in particular who kind of lead the way in the industry. Mm -hmm. And maybe we're big enough now that more people, there's opportunity there that they can step in and um, people who have that interest to be industry leaders can step up and help out with that. That's a good point. That's a very good point. Yeah, what what a great opportunity to create basically a vacuum or a void for the kind of the new talent to to go in there. Yeah, cool. Uh, Anything else anybody wants to share before before we close out here? I'll just say, I mean, I'm just so grateful, like, especially yes. coming from the corporate world, it mm. really is. And, and we say it a lot. And I mean, it, it's almost like we're beating a dead horse when we say it, but our float community is just like nothing else. I mean, there, there's just no way that you could, in any other business, find your competitor across town and, you know, go have a drink with them. And, and mm-hmm. some of the biggest hugs you get at the event are from those people, you know, and we're just so, so fortunate that it is that kind of an industry and that we are all there for each other. And I think um, one of the things that really stood out to me was the award that was presented to Ashcon on a Saturday night, a little plaque that said, you've taken an industry and made it a family. Hmm. And I mean, just, it's so true. It's so true. So I'm oh, just, beautiful. I'm grateful to be a part of that. You know, I want to just take a moment and share something that happened to me while I was, while y'all were at the float conference. Um, I find it interesting you know what kind of happens when you're when you're not there I was kind of bu- of course I was bummed of course I was bummed being in Nashville and everybody was out in Portland however the way that I spent my time while well, we were home um, we had a local float center give us a call and their pump was down and they had they had some problems they didn't know how to fix it she was panicked and Mark actually spent two days going over there and fixing their pump and finding someone who could help them fix it so 
you know, the spirit, it was interesting to me that the spirit of the float conference was still, <laughs> even though I was not in Portland, it was still living on here in Nashville. And, you know, when you have those moments, when you, when you're able to pay it forward, um, you, you have that, that time with the other center and it makes you like, I, I felt myself getting very nurturing of them. And I was like, Mark, what, you know, she's having some other issues as well. I'm like, is she doing this? Is she doing that? Oh, my goodness. We need to make sure she gets the right person. What can we do? Let's make sure she, you know, does she need help? Let's make sure that she's okay. And you you feel very nurturing. It brings you closer together. And like, like uh, Kim was saying, there's not another industry like that. Mm-hmm. I worked in corporate for 12-plus years. And... I never once remember a competitor coming and helping us or going to help another competitor or feeling those nurturing mama vibes towards a competitor, quote unquote competitor. So, um, so the nice thing is, is what's been developed or what started, whether it's been at the float conference or just in the heart of the people who do Mm. flotation therapy, it just carries on and on and on and it goes forward. And even when we're not together, um, it's so nice to know that it is part of who we are. Beautiful. True. That's it. Amy summed it up. Awesome. It's a great community to be a part of. I pinch myself. I try to do it daily, but I don't always remember when I'm in the weeds. But Mm -hmm. how'd we get so lucky? Like, we're in a cool industry with cool people. Uh, It's wide open. I was saying to Luke, uh, there's a lot of holes in the industry. There's a lot of innovation. There's a lot of room for people with ideas to do things. If you can think of it, you can do it. And he said, there's no holes. Nothing's been established. We're in that time that there's a lot of different paths you can take in this industry, and they're all positive. And it's all interlocked within the community. And it's awesome to see. Everyone's supportive of each other. There's a lot of cool stuff coming out in the future. And... um you know, hopefully we can continue that trend as it gets more popular and more people get in and we try to stay away from people coming in for a quick money grab and we're able to keep that community vibe. That's what I hope for the future, at least. <laughs> Me too, man. <laughs> Me too. And, you know, I think uh, the uh, the Float On guys have been so good at establishing this be excellent to each other vibe and attitude. But I think uh, what you guys have reminded me is that there's a reason that resonates with us. Like we join this industry for a particular reason. If we were a bunch of assholes that would, they'd say that it'd bounce off of us and we'd get back to face down, not seeing our community, not communicating all of that. And that's, that's not how it get how it goes. So yeah. Thank you guys for reminding me of that. This, each of us individually are incredible people. And there's a reason that we signed up for this. And the reason you guys are on the show tonight, everybody goes out to the conference, all that is for for a real specific reason. Mm, Thank you for that reminder. I cannot add anything to what you guys have shared in closing here. Um, The um, only thing I want to share is uh, Murphy. He was brought up earlier, Murphy Monroe. And then shifting gears here a little bit. It didn't seem germane to bring it up at the time earlier. Uh, Murphy wanted to say hello to me at the float conference this year. Uh, and it was, it was really fun as the story unraveled of, uh, his listening to the, to the podcast and his connection to it. Um, nothing about his, his speech, which was a delight to, uh, see. And, uh, man, there was some dust in the air. That's for sure. Well, during his speech. Um, but, uh, he talked about 
how he has listened to every single minute of every single podcast we've ever released. And he then made it very clear that he has absolutely no interest in opening a float center. Uh, so, of course, I said what, uh, well, I can't repeat exactly what I said, but I said something to the effect of, gee, Willikers, why the heck would you listen to our show? And he said that um, he is bonded to our story and to who we are as people and our ability to share our wins, our losses, and to express vulnerability. Murphy, since you're listening to this, since I can guarantee you're listening to this, I apologize if I'm not saying this uh, perfectly, but that meant a lot to me. And uh, that is definitely what we try to do here. And um, we want float centers to thrive. We want to thrive as human beings. And that um, motivates every step that we take with this. And so for somebody who <laughs> literally for that minimum 40 minute portion where we're not talking about anything besides, I, I, I don't know, water sanitation, uh, marketing, search engine optimization, um, hopefully maybe you can apply that portion. I don't know, probably not. Uh, the fact that you're still connected and bonded and find value and want to hear us uh, meant a lot to me this weekend. So, Murphy, thank you. And, oh, my God, after hearing your speech, uh, that was absolutely beautiful. Your presentation was incredible. Thank you, and thank you for listening. That's uh, all I, I want to share. Uh, all right. If there's nothing else, thank you, Amy, for joining us this evening. Thank you, Drew. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Kim. Thanks for joining us tonight. And uh, let's see here. I have a few other things before we close out here. Uh, one, I got to spend some time with Ginny and Colin this weekend, which is always a real treat. Uh, they've been sponsoring the show since we began. Floataway.com is where you want to go. If you weren't able to actually see them at the float conference, uh, they have an incredible array of float tanks uh, that are available, including the Serenity, which is even bigger than what they have at Liber. I think they have an 8-foot diameter float tank at Liber. This one is 10-foot in diameter. Uh, absolutely spacious for especially, like, I don't know, you want to get some uh, athletes in there, maybe some professional athletes who might be taller than our average floater. Um, it's going to be perfect for them. And uh, beyond that, they also had the safety board. We didn't talk about this but uh, during the episode, but this something that, like, by definition should be in every single float center is uh, this board that you can... Uh, if somebody's unconscious in the float tank, strap them to and get them out of the float tank extremely quickly without, I mean, if you imagine trying to get 300 pound person out of a float tank, I don't know, you try to imagine getting a 70 pound person out of a float tank. What an awkward, difficult experience. Um, I was able to watch some videos on how people are able to um, easily do that and, and get somebody out. Um, so uh, the float shop actually already has one now. <laughs> like it was an absolute no brainer that should be by default in every single float center. And that's just what Floataway does. Like that's just what they do. Uh, get in contact with them again at floataway.com. And they do actually have a link for that safety board on their website as well. Thanks everybody to support, for supporting us on Patreon. It is so wonderful. It helps keep wind in our sails. It really, we truly, truly appreciate it. Uh, we are available for consulting, as, as Drew can attest to. We're available for consulting. Artofthefloat.com forward slash consulting is where you want to go if you're interested in that. And uh, thanks to Kim Hannon again for not only joining our show tonight, but I believe doing live show notes as we're going on as well, which is not a task I would ever want to take on. Thank you, Kim, for taking our show notes. And uh, in, in closing, thanks to everybody for listening. It um, truly means the world to us that you guys do tune in. Sometimes uh, week to week, and, and sometimes it's a whole bunch at a time every few months, and sometimes it's picking and choosing, but just the fact that you choose to, to listen to our show and hear what we have to, to say uh, means 
means a lot to us. So thank you. Remember, there's an infinite amount to find in the presence of nothing. So please spend some time there. We'll see you next week. You're listening to Art of the Float.